Parliament limits the voice. Constitutional experts have backed the proposed Indigenous voice as a safe and sensible legal opinion option, dismissing concerns that the advisory body would be too powerful. It is actually strikingly modest. If other arms of government hear the voice's representations and aren't persuaded, they can continue on their course. There is no requirement to follow the advice of the voice, said George Williams, Professor of Law at the University of New South Wales. The latest version states Parliament will have power to make laws with respect to matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice, including its composition, functions, powers and procedures. Sovereignty. Dale Rushka on Treaty. Dale Rushka was the author of Guri Cry Out for Black Conscience Alert, Voice Treaty Truth. Here is an interview that I did with Dale Rushka about his paper. Could we start by you introducing yourself by saying who you are and where you're from? My name's Dale Rushka. I'm a First Nations Aboriginal man that lives on Stradbroke Island. I'm a, a, a Gurumpur Guri. I've um, been raised by my Morton family group, who, who are my ancestral bloodline group who gives me my connection to this country that I, I reside upon. I have Aboriginal bloodlines that connect me through the Gurumpul as well as the Yagra and through the Andambi, Nunakul people as well. So, just so we can unpack that a bit for our audience, firstly Gurumpul, what does that mean? Gurumpul were the people of the Quampi shell or the Pearl shell of Morton Bay. Now, Gumpi, is that a that is that's a blackfellow name for Dunwich, which is on Minjerabar? Yeah, that's right. Gumpi is the, the name, original name of Dunwich, and it's a place where our people had a village that lasted for some time, and when archaeologists surveyed the sites of that area, they concluded that our occupation had been consistent for at least 6,000 years in that one area. And that's why uh, the native title was uh, achieved, was it? Well, native title was achieved because our connection to country was unbroken and our maintenance of tradition and laws was maintained. Could you please give a brief explanation of the history of occupation of your lands by Europeans? Well, European occupation of our, our land here was um, one of the lengthiest in Queensland. This was the, the starting point when the early um, penal colonies were set up for the convicts in Brisbane, um, Strabroke Island was made a, a pilot station and a storehouse for the, all the ships that were coming to uh, Moreton Bay. And that hi history involved a lot of incidents from, firstly, there being major um, conflicts and those conflicts intensified into what we um, view as being wars that were fought here on the island. Um, there were massacres here on Strabroke Island as well as massacres on Morton Island of our people due to our resistance. And after some time in the, the, the first 50 to 70 years of colonial history in this area, which began in 1803 and um, took a, a rapid movement in about the 1820s, um, this inhumane brutality of the treatment of Aboriginal people from in a, in a genocidal sense occurred right up until about the 1870s and there was a mission, or it wasn't a mission, it was established as an Aboriginal labour camp on Stradbroke. But prior to that, about 20 to 30 years earlier, there was the first ever 
um, religious mission in Australia established here on Stradbroke Island under the Catholics. So for Aboriginal people, that meant that they could obtain a sense of asylum security by being associated to that mission area. So when the labour camp was set up a bit later in 1873, because of what was happening throughout all of southeast Queensland from the pastoral movement and the frontier era, uh, many Aboriginal people ended up um, being on Stradbroke Island and the labour camp that was set up comprised of many Aboriginal people from different areas from all around the southern state. Um, more mission become a, an official mission then a bit later in uh, 1893 when the Aboriginal Protection Act was introduced and the policy of the mission, like most people know, was um, pretty brutal and immoral for Aboriginal people. It, cha- it forced us to, to change our, our whole conscious being from our traditional state into the, the form that was being imposed on us as a result of the administration of that time. Um, Myra Mission was, and the protection era was followed by the Aboriginal Assimilation Era. That again, most people should know a lot about that. And we had to obtain permits and that for work, and we had to go through um, declaration processes to declare that we weren't Aboriginal people. And that again was another brutal time, which led right up until around about the 60s. And then we seen the referendum come in in 1967, and. Quite a lot of the people from here played a big role in the referendum movement. And the referendum movement of 67, which gave us citizenship rights, was followed by the um, political movement of the land rights era, which began with the 1972 Ten Embassy establishment in Canberra. And again, Aboriginal people from here played a big role in that. And I'd like to name some of those Aboriginal people. Yes. Um, my granduncle John Newfong was pivotal. My mother Donna Marie Rusco was pivotal. Another granduncle of mine by the name of Dennis Walker was pivotal, and a great granduncle by the name of Kath Walker also played a big role in that era's movement. And our people have maintained the principles, or not all of us, but some of us maintained the principles and values of the meaning of that movement right up until this date. Um, we then seen the land rights era on Stradbroke Island in the 1980s under the Aboriginal Land Rights Act, which we rejected on the basis that we didn't want to receive the crumbs of the table of colonial occupation and that we wanted what was rightfully ours as the original sovereign owners. And not long after that, in the early 90s, we began our claim process parallel to the ending of Mabo, where we lodged our notice of intention to claim our lands back on the basis of our original blood inherit sovereign meaning. And that process then was railroaded, as a lot of processes of that time were, uh, by the Native Title Act. And the Native Title Act has been what's uh, the piece of legislation that's been responsible for the administration of Aboriginal rights and the control of Aboriginal people since the consent determination of 2011. And that consent determination, um, some of us chose not to support it, and we opposed it. And we lodged our objections, but the federal court wouldn't um, recognise our objections because we comprised of only a minority. And we objected on the grounds that the Native Titles Act was totally unjust. And we chose instead to reserve our First Nation sovereign rights as the original people of this land. If people want more than the government's small target option, then they should vote down Labor's voice referendum. Already a significant number of First Nations people 
have advocated for a no vote. A voice without sovereignty may be yet another slap in the face for First Nations people. A no may be seen as what it is, an active rejection by First Nations of an ineffective SOP, which is yet another whitewash of colonisation and post-colonial history. A win for the yes vote, as well as a win for the no vote, may both end up in a loss for First Nations people. The wording for the voice referendum holds no fears for Conservatives. It does no more than create a government-funded bureaucracy and another box to tick in the passage of legislation and regulation. The form and effectiveness of the voice will be at the mercy of the Parliament. The Labor government has created a rod for its own back. If yes wins, the legislation needed to create a voice, with any prospect of having any meaningful input into policies and legislation affecting First Nations people, will be contested all the way by Liberal and National parties because the majority of their members embrace John Howard's opinion about the black armband view of history. They will be supported by fear-mongering by the majority of the media about any genuinely effective legislation or policies. The coup de grace will be administered by a Labour government facing an electorate willfully ignorant of the effects of colonisation and its aftermath who will not elect them if they espouse any effective policies for First Nations people. The result may be ineffective window dressing which the Conservative parties will eventually destroy with under-resourcing and appointments of unqualified party hacks. The Uluru Statement sought a Truth and Justice Marakata Commission, which was immediately and summarily refused by the then Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, to his eternal shame. To accept a Marakata Commission was a necessary step in the process towards the voice. Which way? Australians and their politicians may need to have an authoritative report from a Royal Commission on the history and effects of colonisation and its aftermath up to today so that their subsequent establishment and maintenance of the voice can be on the basis of a fact and not on the fictions which have permeated Australian society since 1788. Only then should the structure of the voice be debated and determined with an open book in front of the Australian people and in the full glare of international opinion so that choices may, can be made which show where on the spectrum between justice and a fair go at one end and racist opportunism on the other where the true Australia lies. Another world is possible. The voice is like the Oslo peace accord for the Palestinians. In the end, there was no offer ever made to the Palestinians. It was all show. Israel built the wall and the settlements in the occupied territories. Both the Palestinians and the Aboriginal people must have the right to return to their own lands. Both Israeli and Australian governments are opposed to this. To vote yes simply because it seems like the right thing to do is not enough. Australia must acknowledge prior occupation and prior ownership 
of the land by Aboriginal people. This is Ian Kerr, 4PR Voice of the People, signing off. Let's go out with a song. This song was sung at Gough Whitlam's funeral. Gough Whitlam, as Prime Minister, introduced land rights legislation in the Northern Territory. It is sung and introduced by Kev Carmody and Paul Kelly. great privilege and an honour to be here to um, celebrate the legacy of this old man. We always felt he was a comrade in our camp. So um, <coughs> I feel it's a celebration. So if you want to sing along to this, um, you will not be removed by security. Gather round people, I'll tell you a story, an eight year long story of power and pride. British Lord Vesti and Vincent Lingari were opposite men on opposite side. Vesti was fat, honey and muscle, beef was his business. Broad was his door, Vincent was lean, spoke very little, he had no bank balance, hard dirt was his floor. From little things, big things grow, from little things, big things grow. Gringy were working for nothing but rations But once they had gathered the wealth of the land Daily the pressure got tighter and tighter Gringy decided they must make a stand They picked up their swags, started off walking At what he did sat himself down now it don't sound like much sure got comes talking back at the homestead then in the town from little things big things grow come here from little things big things grow I'll double your wages Seven quid a week you have in your hand Vincent said, uh-uh, we're not talking about wages We're staying right here till we get our land Bestie man rolled, bestie man thundered You don't stand a chance of a cinder in snow Big city we fall, others are rising from Little things, big things grow From little things, big things grow Then Vincent Ligari boarded an aeroplane And landed in Sydney, great big city of lights 
And daily he went round Softly speaking his story To all kinds of men From more walks of life Vincent sat down Let Greek politician This affair they told him It's a matter of state Let's sort it out Your people are hungry Vincent said no thanks We know how to wait From little things Big things grow 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 Then Vincent Lignari returned in an airplane Back to his country once more to sit down He told his people Let the stars keep on turning We got friends in the south, in the cities and towns Eight years went by, eight long years away One day a tall stranger peed in the land he came with lawyers, came with great ceremony, threw Vincent's fingers on that handful of sand. From new things, big things grow. From new things, big things grow. From new things, big things grow. From new things. Vincent Lignari, but this is a story of something much more. How power and privilege talk move people who know where they stand, they stand in their law. From new things, big things grow. From new things, big things grow. From new things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Our spirit walks with you. <laughs>